Welcome to the Think Data podcast, brought to you in partnership with DataWorks. If you want to stay up to date with the latest breakthroughs and trends in the world of data and artificial intelligence, and if you're curious about some of the strategies that companies and founders use to launch data and AI products, then you're in the right place. Our aim is to bring together a diverse lineup of fantastic guests, from the founders through to accomplished leaders and product owners at some of the most fascinating data and AI companies worldwide. They will each offer you their own unique insight into what it takes to launch and scale a great data business. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the episode. This is the Think Data podcast in partnership with DataWorks. And today I am super happy to welcome Stephanie to the show. Stephanie is someone I've known just over a year now. She is the co-founder and CEO of Didem Capital, who are a funding marketplace for founders. Stephanie um, has a number of years of experience within the startup and venture capitalist space. Um, and I really appreciate you getting on today, especially with the uh, with the weather you're having over there. So thanks, uh, thanks for coming on. Now, as I kind of alluded to, um, Diadem, relatively new business, but not a new space for you. Do you mind kind of bringing us up to speed with kind of who you are and, and what made you launch Diadem? Yeah, totally. Well, thanks for having me, Alex. Super excited to chat with you. I mean, number one, Likewise. I'm in New York City. We have a snow day, so it's snowing <laughs> yeah, all yeah. day, uh, which is fun. But um, talking about Diadem, so we're a funding platform that really connects private companies to private capital. And my co-founder and I, we both came from like the banking world. So I spent a decade in banking. I was in investment banking at Goldman and at City and at Berenberg Bank. But I did half my career at pure investment banking, half like sales and trading floor. And at City, I worked on a team called City Velocity. We were a data and analytics platform for the buy side. So all our clients were like hedge funds, asset managers, retirement funds that would come to us for investment ideas and even trade execution through the platform. And Joe and I met there. I ran equities. He ran credit. And um, it all comes back again to what we're doing now. But I went to two fintech startups after that. They were both Series A fintechs raising like their A's. And I was like helping the founders number one raise, but both of them were also funding platforms similar to what we're doing now with a two-sided marketplace where we're connecting buyers and sellers. And the first one was like commercial real estate loans that we were selling to insurance and PE shops. The second one was a private debt marketplace helping private companies access debt. That's when I told Joe, join me at the startup and we were running the team together. And the interesting thing is every founder we talked to was like, well, we don't want that. Actually, we can't even access that because we're too early. Help us with equity. And that's when we had like the light bulb moment. We're like, why is there not a platform like that? Because in the public world that we came from, like public equities, public credit, it's completely normal. You work with like a broker and the broker helps you mm. get in front of like the right investors. In the private world, poor startups are still expected to like drive down Sand Hill Road with like their beat up car, knock on like VC's doors and be like, hey, can you write us a check? So that's where we came on. So we first worked off of like Google Sheets and now we have a full-fledged platform. So we build a no-code, like low-code solution, but basically we have founder and investor onboarding. What we do is we bring both parties together. And why VCs love working with us actually is that we have pre-vetted curated deal flow for them. And we also have a very different pricing model than some of like our competitors out there. So founders come to us 
and they say, okay, we're raising like a seed round or a series A, we focus seed through series C. It's like where we're yep. focused on and we're sector agnostic. So B2B SaaS, vertical SaaS, climate tech, FinTech, like anything you can think of, mobility. And we even dab a little bit in like CPG, but there it's more on the um, debt side. And then so VCs, we have by now 880 VCs. And we have 130 lenders. All of them have gone through like video calls with me. So I'm bored everybody. And when they sign up on the platform, where we're different is we have these buckets that they can create. So they can say, okay, at seed stage, we're looking for this. At series A, we're looking for this. At whatever sector, we're looking for XYZ nuance. So we have 150 subsectors that they can pick. And then we go more specific because we look at ownership targets of the VC. We look at like total raise caps. We look at total funding caps. Um, obviously geography and sector and ticket size are important. Do they mm. co-invest? All that comes together. And then investors are in the driver's seat. So it's kind of like bumble, but for investors. So they go and look for <laughs> the startups that they want. And then they say, I want an intro. And then I make the intro. And then founders pay us a success-based fee. So it's free deal flow for VCs. Founders pay a success-based fee, which we're allowed to do because we're affiliated with a FINRA broker dealer. And we charge 3% on equity and 1% on debt deals just on the introduction of the capital that we bring. So what they get through our network. That's it in essence. But our slogan is basically we're founder aligned and VC accepted. That's because of our rate. So there's obviously the investment banks out there that look at this space. A lot of the early stage founders are too early for them. So that's why mm -hmm. we have like found this like niche where we're coming in very early and then we're helping them grow. Because we have like seed stage companies that we helped two years ago because we're just two years old that are now series A's and we'll help them with their A. And then we had A's like two years ago. Then we did a venture debt round last year and now they're coming back for their B. So we're also trying to prove that we have like a nose for picking like really good founders because the ones mm -hmm. that were seed stage two years ago actually made it to A and the A's made it to B and so forth. Yeah, it's an interesting platform. I think the concept's great. And obviously, as you've already alluded to, you're gonna be, if you can show that success and that kind of loyalty and the the the, the nose for a deal and a yeah. good business, ultimately, then you're going to, that kind of perpetual motion, because you obviously went through it, you raised yourself to obviously get yourself into a position to service, which... And I know, you know, we'll obviously tag you at the end of this. Uh, you, you put out a huge amount of content, really insightful about the space. And I know you're kind of sector agnostic, but yeah. we can't get away from the world of kind of AI and gen AI at the moment. It seems to be everywhere, but equally, there's been a lot of talk about it. Um, right. And a lot of people, and that's why it's so good to have you on, is what's your kind of, thoughts around actually where we are in terms of that scene right now because as i mentioned depending who you talk to they give you a different story yeah i mean when you talk to people that are familiar in this space you'll see that there's like really two factions um there's the one like the vcs that are totally like into gen ai they've mapped it out they've been like studying this like since like 2021 it's not like new it's been around technically it's been around for like decades right but since 2021 is like really where it's like come out. And they're the ones that have like mapped this out. They have their models. They're really acquainted and they know what it takes to actually build a proper Gen AI startup. And then there's the other side. They're like, mm, you know, we're going to stay on the sidelines. There's some hype going on. It's kind of like crypto, NFT, like Web3 all coming back. We're going to like okay. wait out. So we're seeing both sides. And um, the first fraction are like the ones that like, 
where I told you, like they had the models already built out. They go through these companies with like a fine, like tooth comb. Like they're like, okay, we have this model. We're looking at like pipeline. We're looking at X, Y, Z. Like there's a lot of factors that they take into consideration before they even want to have a first call. Cause we're in the business of give, getting like a founder their first call. So we yeah. have to be like so specific of showing like, what's the moat of the startup? Like, how can we prove that they're different than the others? Cause it's a very crowded market, right? Well, that's it. And it goes back to the kind of the, the benefit of your platform, doesn't it? Because if you've got those, I don't know, these sort of buckets or those kind of the, the, the checklists, which mm-hmm. your, your investor VCs want, and then what the founders are effectively offering up, those two have got to marry up. But then what you're saying is after that call, they, those VCs and investors are still more so probably now when, do you, do you kind of think people are investing less in an idea now and actually they generally do need to say, what's your ARR? Are you making any cash? Because... Otherwise, the deals are offered, either there's not going to be a deal, or they're just not going to be very good. Yeah, no, you're spot on. Like, all about the ideas are done. Like, investing on a napkin idea is not happening <laughs> right now. Uh, maybe if you're Sam Altman, but like, otherwise, no. Um, like, we're seeing, like, obviously, runway is a big number that they're looking at. Like, how much have they raised and how much runway do they have? The true revenue numbers. And then um, talking about like the VCs that have like mapped out everything, they have their models ready to go. What we're seeing them do is they put a lot of emphasis on pipeline. Like how true mm. is this pipeline? Like how up in the air is it? Or how actually actionable is it? Like what's the probability? They go into the model like, ooh, you're putting like a 50% probability on getting an enterprise contract? No. Like, so they go through mm-hmm. it like much more carefully. So now it's more about what's like the true, like the tech mode, right? And as you mentioned, like, the metrics, revenue, churn, um, how much do they have to spend to like retain customers? How much do they have to spend to get new ones? Is there so much churn that they keep spending marketing on getting new ones and then they have to refresh them all the time? That yeah, is, that's like, a good point. We're seeing a lot of VCs like really drilling down on. And whether it's kind of a, yeah, no, exactly. And it's interesting about the churn piece because you keep talking about kind of, you can talk about top line acquisition, but actually if you're losing a whole load at the bottom right. end, then their kind of growth is is not yeah. going to be so attractive. But it, it, whether it's a personal interest or kind of from a from an investability point of view, what what areas within AI are you looking at and thinking this is exciting? This this kind of has legs because I think if you go back to was it just in the run up after Thanksgiving when obviously the the Sam Altman kind of uh, announcement and the, the GBT stores and the, the the impact of that the week after was crazy. It was like wildfire. But obviously at the moment, what are you looking at? Thinking not that's a safe bet, but that's that's where you should be putting your your, your attention. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, we're a little biased because we're a fintech, so we look a lot at fintech, right? Yeah. Um, so. Where's like Gen AI and where can it gain traction? And I think definitely in the financial sector. And you're seeing like um, MasterCard just like announced, I think a week ago, it was like Feb6, a week ago, they got into Gen AI, but for fraud detection. So that's super interesting. Like fraud detection, how to see suspicious transactions in their network. So a lot of like the other, you know, the cards payments companies are for sure going to get into that space because it's like very interesting. And then banks as well, right? Um, I think there's like a huge, huge way to apply that to like financial sector and specifically payments. And then, um, there's like the big tech players, right? When you look at like the big products of like Google and like Gemini, um, Mm. I think that's like a really interesting space. And then like multi-model, like AI, like the, you take a picture and then it can like go search and do, um, 
audiovisual text and all that to like take that input and like spit out like a contextualized response. That's super interesting. Like you could take screenshots off a website, like for our purposes, technically take screenshots off a website of like a VC and then it will spit out, okay, these are the sectors I focus on. These are all their portfolio companies because it flips the picture into text. So I think all that is like super interesting and lead gen as well across all verticals. That's what that's so nice about gen AI is vertical agnostic. Mm, it is. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, I was talking to someone about a, eight months ago and a similar question to kind of what, what do you feel the kind of current state of the market is? And I think there was such a, explosion of startups that came with a great idea yeah quite a few of those are no longer really that present because obviously runways cash preservation and actually appetite from consumers or businesses is not really there and you touched on some interesting point where your investors and they're looking they've built some of them have got their models some of them have got their kind of pre-fixed ideas and notions of what makes a company investable in, in your experience only over the number of years you've been in this space what are the kind of some of the key things you're looking at you touched on obviously mm-hmm. runway and, and customer acquisition and churn rate but is there are they the main ones would you say yeah i think so the biggest one is like tam so how big is the total addressable market like how big is that and that can be like in the trillions for gen ai um yeah. typically vcs we work with say like a company they'll invest in needs to have at least 15 billion in tam then they're like, okay, we'll take a first call. But like Gen AI is like massive. So TAM, then revenue, revenue growth, pipeline, like I mentioned. I mean, we work with one Gen AI company just in December, the one that closed within like a week, um, where they had enterprise contracts that were like worth like 25 million, like one contract. So when you think about like how that can scale, it's like massive, right? If you just Mm. have like, 10 enterprise contracts, 25 enterprise contracts, like humongous. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you saw the news. Was it yesterday? OpenAI, um, they just announced they have $2 billion in monthly revenue, just like nuts. They've like had like the biggest acceleration in growth. So that's like what VCs look for now. Because to your first question is like, how has the market changed? When you look at like the macroeconomic like state, right? And then how since 2021, kind of a lot of like deployment in VC has shrunk. Now they really look at companies with proper protection. So it's like revenue. Who are the enterprise com- companies? How many do they have? How can they grow? How much runway, like I mentioned? Um, VCs that are already on the cap table, super important. So a lot of VCs now are too afraid to take a bet. They wanted to make sure another VC is already on the cap table and took a bet. And also are they coming in now prorata. If a VC that's already on the cap table does not come in prorata going forward, it's like a red flag. Like a VC, other VCs will have a hard time coming in. So those are like some I of see. my ones. It's like a strength in numbers mindset, isn't it? Some yeah. of the things, well, if they're there, you know, why are they there? And equally, if they're not there, why are they not there? It's, uh, yeah. it's interesting because I know we, I don't know whether we've gone through it yet, but that kind of the associated hype circle with AI led to some pretty wild sale valuations, multiplier yeah. effects. And we had mosaic with databricks and you, you had a number of you know companies being acquired um, and i'm always getting asked and it's always interesting for our listeners to hear uh, when you hear about valuations and people are like wow how are they worth so much you know what's the general rule of thumb when you know people like yourself and vcs and those investors are looking at kind of valuing a company from a from yeah. an equity and from a from an investment standpoint yeah it's a great question um I think there is no rule of thumb. Like Gen AI is so fast. Um, 
I can tell you from what we've seen in Diadem Capital, like the deals. So we've closed 21 deals so far and helped raise 62 million. Out of those, maybe five were Gen AI companies. So that's like a big chunk. The valuations we've seen were from as low as 25 times their revenue to as yeah. high as 150 times their revenue. And this is wow. not mature companies. This is companies at seed series A stage. So revenue between, I think the lowest was like 900K revenue. So the biggest one was just approaching like 25 million in revenue. But like big, big valuation like um, range. Wow. Where traditional SaaS is like something what used to be like easy 10 times. Now it's more like as low as like four times to like maybe 15 times, but it's based on revenue growth. Here it's all based on enterprise contracts. So mm. if like a generic company has enterprise contracts, it's like massive like trajectory of like how it can scale and like true VC dollars and like how they can like propel. Cause then hopefully you also get a VC on the cap table that helps you get into these enterprise contracts. And then like the sky's the limit. Yeah, that's it's interesting. You very very few people understand the kind of mechanics of you know bringing a VC is connected. It may have come yeah. from these enterprise clients who've maybe exited or sold to these enterprise clients previously, and then they get yeah. them on the table, and all of a sudden they open more doors. So they're also investing. They're almost backing themselves, aren't they? To say, you know, I believe in the product. Right. I believe that I can open doors for this. That's uh, and what, what do you think? Some of the pitfalls uh, when obviously. I'm sure you're getting lots of uh, approaches and kind of uh, pitch docs and people are sending you all their, their kind of uh, the information about what makes them unique. What's the, what's the kind of due diligence that you do specifically when you look at it and you're thinking, oh, that's got no legs. Is it straight away to the, what have you got signed? How much money are you generating? Or is there, is there some additional things that you're looking at first and foremost? Yeah. Um, so we look at obviously the ones that are using like, LLM, right? Yeah. So that's like important, like proprietary analytics, search automation, like personalization, like the ones that we've worked on that did well were the ones that had different templates for different personas um, that had like a special applications for enterprise customers. Um, mm. We've had some where also, so VCs expect them to have a ton of different templates and acts like applicability, but then the issue is when they have too many. So they have to be like yeah. careful that it's also scalable. Not that you have like 400 different modules for like 20 clients. You need to also be able to like scale and it needs to be able to apply to different sectors. So that's like something like VCs look at and what's true Gen AI. Like basically since, was it like 2020 when it really started where every startup had like AI in their name? Yeah. <laughs> now it's more like, what is true generative AI? Like gen AI is very different from just AI. AI is kind of like a lookup, right? But like how mm. can we make sure that there's a true tech moat? And um, we've had startups come to us where like, they're more like in the idea phase and they're trying to raise money because, so one thing I didn't mention yet is gen AI is super capital intensive. It's expensive, like the human capital that goes into it, the yeah. cloud infrastructure, all of that, the database, the knowledge bases that they need, very expensive. So a lot of startups come and raise money just to start building, which doesn't work anymore. Like now, no. these investors in general expect them to put a lot of their own money in, bootstrap it, definitely work full-time on it. So we have some startup founders who are like, oh, I'm still part-time. We're like, no, you need to like put your own skin in the game. Like, <laughs> You're all in or not. Yeah. yeah. And work on this. And then um, VCs will also think, okay, if you're putting your own skin in the game, you actually believe in it. If you're still working part-time, 
you're not believing in it. You're still like trying to have a safety net. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Certainly for me, and probably for yourself as well. When you when you go on your own and set up, and you know, if you don't fully back your business and your vision, and you're expecting someone else to kind of part with their own money, then I think it's a bit of a yeah. No, no one's going to do that, aren't they? So they want to yeah. see that kind of blood, sweat, and tears, and think, you know, what well, these guys yeah. are in it. Let's I'll come on the journey with you. Totally, no, hundred percent. And, you know, I know this year, it's probably, hopefully it's a moment in time which we'll, we'll, we'll never come up against because off the back of a crazy 21 and 22, it was, it was you know, a crazy market for a lot of people. I know you're obviously in this space a lot and it was a very tough time. Um, what are you, I know you might be giving feedback to founders who are presenting their pitch decks to you mm-hmm. or getting on the phone with them. What, what advice are you kind of offering those founders, whether they're going through funding with you or they're you're just offering advice on how to navigate some of those potential challenges over the next kind of six to 12 months. Cause I'm pretty sure with interest rates where they are, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a pretty until summertime, I got fingers crossed, but what advice would you offer them? Yeah, no, it's, it's been tough, but I think it's gotten a lot better. So, um, Joe and I, my co-founder, we kept like joking last year was like the year of the bridge round because nobody was able to really do price rounds. Yeah. Now price rounds are actually back. Like a lot of like the founders we're working with, they're doing proper price rounds, looking for a lead investor. We'll find them the lead investor and they're actually yeah. having negotiations to get to like a term sheet they like. Last year, that was not the case. So I think I'm really bullish on this year. I think we're better. It's going to get better. Rates are coming yeah. down. Maybe not the first half of the year, but the second half of the year. But Definitely. it still comes down to founders and the belief the VC has into them, especially in the early stage, if they can execute, right? So that's all that they care about at the early stage. Like pre-seed seed, the investors invest in the founder or the founders, mm-hmm. if they're like several co-founders. So it's about like what experience do they bring to actually be able to build like the Gen AI? Like are they engineers? Like what is their background to actually figure this out? And then later stage companies, it's all about how's their revenue growth been? And the VCs typically right now are looking for like, two times year over year revenue growth, three times over year revenue growth, three and a half times, four times. Like they're looking for like rocket ships because they're so afraid to deploy capital in the wrong companies because they kind of got burned by 2021, 2022 with like all these companies now having to do down rounds. So they're trying to like recover the losses they've had. That's why now they're so careful with like how they deploy capital. And then it comes down for founders again to the moat, like I mentioned, how they can execute. and then. I think in Gen AI, they need to take into consideration also all the risks, right? So Gen AI is not being regulated. Like there's 70% of like bankers say it should be regulated. Um, That's like a big one. Like the data, like how transparent is it? What's the ethical implication? Like, is it fair? Is it like truly transparent? Like where, how can that go wrong? Like if, so we have like a startup there, um, and like more the tech support. So it's not as dangerous. Like if the AI would say, keep repeating the same, maybe not so great example of how they should deal with a certain customer situation, it's not as bad. But then there's medical and legal gen AI where you have to be so careful, right? What like surgeons are using. I I hope they're not searching Mm. that to like figure out how to do a surgery, but like in general, (laughs) medical like peer reviewed data is like very hard to come by. And there's licenses involved. So making sure like where do you actually get your data from? And then cost. 
how can you do this in a cost efficient manner as a startup founder? We're just like tough, right? How do you bootstrap this? Yeah, and it goes back to your point, doesn't it? If they fully back their idea, they back the you know the vision, and they they've got the uh, the nerves and the patience for this, and you know investors will ultimately kind of come on that journey with them. I think you've offered some really interesting. Uh, and fascinating insight into kind of this. And I mean, I think in terms of, you know, people finding you, I know Didem, you know, they, you're very present. We get a lot of founders listening to this. We got a lot of uh, kind of aspiring founders as well. And I think you've offered some huge insights. We'll make sure we tag you guys. So typically people would approach you through your your website, your platform. I'm assuming there's a portal or something for them to fill out like a fact sheet and then over to you, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, so... I get a lot of inquiries through LinkedIn, um, but also yeah. on our platform. So on our platform, there's obviously a sign up, and it's yeah. just like a very quick questionnaire where we just ask, "What's the current found dynamics? Do you even know what you need? Can we help you figure out if it's debt or equity?" And then you just plug in like, "We're a seed stage company. This is our revenue. This is like what we're forecasting for this year, 2024." They can upload their deck, put a little blur, and then based on that, we decide, "Okay, can we help them?" Because we're in the business of warm introductions, kind of like you, right? You're all yeah. about matchmaking. And where we come in is we try to find the perfect match. So when we, I told you we have 880 VCs on the platform. When we work with a given founder, we're really trying to only go out to maybe 50 investors because we want that match to be perfect. So we want the VC to be like, Steph, this is exactly what I was looking for. Yeah. I have my model ready. Let me talk to them and maybe I can deploy capital. I mean, this was what happened with this one Janae. I company, which was really amazing. if every deal was like that, <laughs> every deal was to be like this. But yeah. that's what we attempt because right now we hover at like a seventy-five percent founder funded rate. So for us, it's so important that we take quality founders. We're not about quantity. We don't have a monthly SaaS model, so we don't need to like churn a bunch of companies through our model. We take like the best ones and then put them in front of our really great VCs. So we're working with tier two, tier three VCs. Typically they're on like their fourth, fifth fund, maybe sixth fund. They're like a billion plus AUM. We're based in New York. So we have a lot of like New York, tri-state, Connecticut area, New Jersey, um, down the East coast, like Georgia, Atlanta, Florida. We have the Midwest, like Chicago, Minneapolis. We have Austin, Texas. Obviously we do have Silicon Valley as well. And like the rest of California, but the biggest front is not Silicon Valley VCs. So they're the ones that also are quite price sensitive. So when like a okay. Gen AI company comes with a massive valuation target, they got to prove like, why? Like, do you have the pipeline for it? But anyway, I'm always happy to talk to founders, um, happy to put them in touch with some other investors if I think it's not a fit for ours. Um, we focus at seed stage to series C. So if a pre-seed company approaches us, we're always like happy to like tell them, okay, here's like 10 VCs, try your luck. But most likely you'll need a little bit more traction before like the bigger yeah. people will talk to you. Amazing. Well, there's no su- uh, no surprise you guys have had such success in in a relatively short period of time. But uh, yeah, thanks so much, Stephanie. It's been uh, been my pleasure to have you on, and I uh, yeah, obviously wish you a, a safe snow day tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. Thanks, Stephanie.